Welcome to ELT in Chile, a podcast about teaching English in Chile. I'm Daniel Gwim. And I'm Jose Luis Poblete. And in this podcast, we share our knowledge and experience teaching English in Chile as well as online. In this episode, we're going to continue our conversation about teaching international exams from last episode. In addition, we're going to talk about some recent online appearances we've had and give an update about what's been happening in Chile and in the United States. Yes, some exciting things have happened since our last episode. First off, TESOL Chile invited me to give a webinar on September 25th about low-tech ways to engage students in online classes. I was nervous, but everything went really well. And despite it being a Friday afternoon, people were motivated and participating, and it was such a wonderful experience. The recording is available on TESOL Chile's YouTube channel, and I also made a blog post about it, so I'll include a link to both in the show notes. In addition to that, I attended my first ever international virtual conference. It was organized by the Regional English Language Office located in Lima and Change, which is an organization in Peru that provides personalized classes in person and online. The attention to detail was amazing. The platform had a reception hall with a schedule, a chat box with ongoing messages and updates, a main hall with keynote speakers, a session area with the different workshops being offered, a networking area, and an expo hall to visit different rooms with sponsors. They even had a room for presenters to check out the technology before starting their sessions. And I met some amazing people, and I was also given the chance to give a workshop about developing authentic connections with students through the screen. The session was recorded and should be up on YouTube soon, so I'll also put a link to that in the show notes. So you've also made some online appearances, haven't you, Jose Luis? Yeah, but first of all, I would like to, let's say, go back to the event that where you presented the, because I was also there and I remember that, uh, I think, yeah, we mentioned that, that the, the level of professionalism, let's say this, the platform was so cool. I remember that, you know, that it had so many, let's say features, you know, like you said, like connecting, maybe you can all, you had the, 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 the networking area. I think that was, that was excellent. You know, I think I would really like to see that, let's say, working in a conference here in Chile as well. And yeah, Daniel, I had the chance to attend both events, and I think that's something that's been positive, you know, that has happened this year. Teachers helping other teachers. And we've been lucky enough to have been given the opportunity to share what we've been doing in class and how, of course, we can help each other in these complex situations. So let's say following the same idea, we received an invitation to participate in a webinar at Universidad Mayor. So I would like to thank Lorena Soto for the chance to do it. In our webinar called Online Teaching, Developing a Real Connection with Students, We talked about engagement and the importance of developing a real connection with students and some practical advice related to online teaching in this context. The audience was really diverse, ranging from teachers and students to in-service teachers. And in a way, we can see that we're all learning to be better teachers and every suggestion and activity contributes to that goal. And I think there was also, let's say, a lot of discussions, you know, like, and, and actually there were some teachers from the US, if I'm not mistaken. And let's say they, had, they were facing the same challenges that we're facing here in Chile. Yeah, that's a really great point, because I mean, I think that we're all still in the same boat. We're figuring out how to make this work with remote teaching. We're a little more knowledgeable. I think we feel a little more comfortable with the technology, but we're still running into some challenges. And I think that supporting each other is going to be really important, you know, uh, going into this coming year, because I think that we're probably going to be still teaching online for a while. Yes. And to finish October, which has been a really busy month for both of us, there was one more event that I was invited to. So I would like to thank TESOL Chile again for the invitation and of course for letting me share what I've been doing in class in the last couple of years regarding the creation and the use of corpora. 
So the webinar was called Using Corporate to Teach Grammar and Vocabulary in the EFL Classroom. And there I share ideas for activities and also how to create your own corpus and the use of a software called AntConc to analyze language and how to introduce that element in class. It turned out to be a great event and I really enjoyed sharing my experiences with teachers and pre-service teachers. And I'll include a link to the webinar in the show notes because I think I think it's already on YouTube and on the Diesel Chile YouTube channel. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I was there um, and it was really interesting seeing how you have these tools and you can see differences between words like smart, clever, intelligent, and things like that, how words die out, how they surge in popularity and things like that. So that was really cool to see. So in addition to our online experiences, there is some big news in Chile. We are getting a new constitution. Can you tell us about it and what it means to you, Jose Luis, since you're the Chilean? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this is a big step for the entire country to move away from an old constitution that was created in the context of a dictatorship. And almost 80% of Chilean people voted for a new constitution. But now the process is just beginning. And I really do hope this process works for everybody here in Chile. And I think this is just the beginning, like I said, but people feel really hopeful. And that's very important. Yeah, I mean, I think I share in that sentiment. Um I'm obviously not Chilean, but I have been living in Chile for about 10 years now. And yeah, people seem really hopeful. They think it's going to be a positive step, you know, move in the right direction. So yeah, we'll see what happens with it. Before we get on to the main topic of this episode, we would like to share some news. We've been working really hard in the first year of the podcast. And while we love doing this work, we also have other things that we want to focus on. We've also been feeling a bit burnout, so in order to maintain the quality of the podcast as well as our sanity, we are going down to one audio episode per month. Yeah, the good news is that we're going to have video episodes. At the time of recording our first video episode, we had planned to have two audio episodes a month plus the video episode, but we'd rather focus on quality over quantity. So our goal is to have a monthly video episode with a guest. So we're really excited about the addition of video episodes and also relieved to be taking steps to guarding our energy. Episode 22, which will be released in December, will be our anniversary episode. It has been one year, so we hope that you will tune in to listen then. And of course, yeah, it's going to be our anniversary. We're probably going to have a celebration while we record, right? I imagine, yeah, we'll have to figure out how we want to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. So now going on to our main topic for today teaching for international exams. So we're going to go through each of the four skills and talk about what we do to prepare students for exam for each skill. The first one is reading. So Daniel, what do you do to prepare your students for reading? So I think this answer in the beginning is going to be fairly obvious. They need to spend lots of time reading. When I think of this, I think of two different areas, developing reading skills with practice tests and developing reading skills with other types of texts. For example, the academic section of IELTS and the TOEFL require test takers to understand academic texts and respond to questions within a time limit. Assuming they have the appropriate level, I give my students official practice tests so they can become familiar with the test format. At first, I tell them not to worry about how much time it takes for them to get the answers. I tell them to focus on getting the right answers. I do tell them to notice how much time it takes them to complete the test. They do that with each test they take, and as time goes on, they need less and less time to complete it. Hopefully at the same time, their number of correct answers also improves. 
While they're doing the practice tests, they're actually picking up a lot of vocabulary. They're learning the format of the test and question types, and they're also developing their test taking skills. Based on the type of questions that students get wrong or they aren't sure about, we then take a look at those questions and we can look at more specific strategies. So considering TOEFL and IELTS, I consider TOEFL and IELTS reading quite different with the different question types. TOEFL is almost completely multiple choice, while IELTS also has true, false, not given, matching, classifying, fill in the blanks, and a few other question types. I think it's important to look at why the test makers have provided particular answers and why they're wrong for multiple choice questions. And it's also important to see words that can change the meaning of a sentence or indicate a change in direction. I think of words like possibly, might, may, however, on the other hand, etc. Yeah, Daniel, I think you bring up a very important point, which is to become familiar with the test form, and that, that would be the first thing. And it's not only about choosing the right answers, but also the strategies you need in order to pick a certain answer, you know, and understand how the questions work. Actually, to answer some of those questions, you don't need to read the entire passage, but only a few lines, but you have to focus on specific questions. And, and that way you would be saving a little bit of time, but you can do that only with specific, let's say, type of questions. Yes, that's common with the reading section of the TOEFL. Um, I think it will often have questions asking what a particular word means. So it, you might already know what the word means, or you might just be able to look in the context of the lines around it. And then you're able to answer that question without reading the entire passage. So in addition to practice tests, it is important for students to read academic texts in other areas. So I assign students readings from National Geographic and other familiar websites. They have to write a summary of the article, as well as a reflection with their thoughts and comments about it. In addition, they write any words they don't know, as well as the definition in English. And that way, they're learning vocabulary, working on reading comprehension, and also developing their writing skills. So there's more that I do, but I feel like this episode would be four hours long if I described everything I do in detail. So what about you, Jose Luis? What do you do to help students develop reading skills for international tests? Well, in my experience, something similar happens. You know, uh, when students take a practice test, they get really worried because they had a completely different idea of what a reading test would be like. You know, like most people only, they would only expect uh, multiple choice, you know, or true or false questions. But then when they face yes, no, not given questions, students tend to struggle with those type of questions. And also, I think in my opinion, which is the most difficult thing, the time limit. You know, and as we know, each section is strictly timed, which makes things very complicated for test takers. And I agree with, with you, Daniel. I usually tell, tell my students to focus on transitional phrases, like you said, you know, but beyond and or and but, but they should focus on more complex ones like furthermore, nevertheless, whereas, etc. I also have students read similar passages like you, but something I really enjoy doing in class is to have students find synonyms to some of the words in the passage. For example, uh, attend, you know, go to, put out a fire, or extinguish a fire, etc. And in that way, students are improving their vocabulary. Uh, I also like examining the reading test closely and discussing the correct answers with students and having them explain their thought process of choosing a specific answers. Like, okay, so why did you choose that particular, let's say, letter A and not T? And they have to explain that and explain how they actually got to the, that, that particular answer. And in my opinion, that helps a lot. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And you made a really good point about the importance of synonyms. That is so important with the IELTS test, I believe, with IELTS reading. 
And yeah, also learning from our mistakes. We all make mistakes. We can learn from them. So if we can apply that to test preparation, it's really going to help students to raise their score, analyze, kind of become a detective in a way. And you know, something that I would like to mention is that it's difficult. I mean, students, when they get a specific score, for example, like let's talk about IELTS. When they get a five and they want to, let's say, get a six, the, the, the differences are so small. Let's say that uh, if they would like to get a higher score just a little bit, those tiny things really matter. You know, like you said, like, you know, not only answering words correctly, but like you say, in a way, become like a language detective and understand that, you know, language becomes, let's say, much more complex than just choosing a right answer. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And that is one thing that I think is challenging with IELTS. You know, they're testing capitalization, they're, they're testing spelling, you know, you have all these other elements of language that are tested in the listening part of the test, for example, also in the reading part of the test. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually the next skill that we're going to talk about, which is listening. So Daniel, what do you do with listening? So just like with reading, I think of it in two broad categories listening practice tests, and listening to authentic texts that aren't practice tests. So I find that the TOEFL listenings are much closer to the way people speak in terms of speed and register. They speak quickly and they use idioms that are beneficial for test takers to know. One thing I do is brainstorm keywords and categories that are going to appear in the listening test. This includes things like academic disciplines, important buildings on a college campus, type of assignment students receive, possible problems that might occur, and more. This gives me the chance to gauge their prior knowledge as well as introduce concepts like quarters, trimesters, room and board, homecoming, GPA, and other things they might not be familiar with that might appear on the test. We also brainstorm campus situations that could appear. This includes things like two students studying for a test, a student asking a professor for help, a student with a problem related to campus parking, etc. We also work on taking notes to refer back to when completing the questions. Yeah, that's true. I feel that the TOEFL test requires students to know about academic vocabulary like, like RA, resident assistant. Or I remember when I took the TOEFL, there was a situation with these students' cafeteria, you know, how to change like meal plans and things like that. And, you know, you need to really know let's say, those words in order to complete, let's say, the uh, the listening task or, or things like due date, etc. So let's say uh, uh, students really need to know those concepts in order to get, to obtain a good score. And the idea you mentioned related to campus situations, uh, besides, you know, like I think you mentioned um, homecoming or student with a problem related to campus parking and things like that, those are actually things that you can face in real life, you know, so... Uh, let's say students really need them. I remember, you know, uh, something related to borrowing a book, discussing a paper topic with a professor or trying to send a, a paper, let's say, in a, on a different date or things like that. Mm -hmm, definitely. Yeah, so as for IELTS, the listening section is actually much more than that. As I mentioned earlier, it also tests your knowledge of spelling, capitalization, and following directions. I make sure my students get plenty of practice spelling names and writing out things like phone numbers, addresses, credit card numbers, and prices. The test often has speakers say one things, but then they correct themselves. So we listen carefully and see which of the two answers is correct. We also develop skills related to reading maps as well as note-taking skills. Yeah, absolutely. I think like uh, working with the student, let's say, uh nowadays and he's really struggling with let's say prices because of course here in chile we use pesos and in the in the ielts testament they mentioned dollars and pounds you know the structure is different so he's struggling with that so we've been working with prices specifically a lot 
you know definitely definitely yeah go ahead uh yes yeah, so like we said in our last episode students think that ielts may be more accessible than toefl because it doesn't necessarily test your academic vocabulary as toefl does but it also tests other areas like the ones you've been mentioning daniel following directions or a process which are difficult things to do in a foreign language also students find it really frustrating when speakers correct themselves you know like you mentioned as well especially when they change a number or when they change uh when they change they're talking about specific date and they 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 mention another date they would say something like yeah we want to do that on a tuesday sorry on a friday and then they they really find it frustrating Definitely, definitely. One thing that I noticed that IELTS does also is if you have a name, the name is is not going to be spelled probably the easiest way that you hear it. Um, so if they have the name like Simons, it might be S-Y-M-O-N-D-S, and the D is silent, you know, so people can't just hear it and then try to spell it the way that they think it is. They need to spell it the way that it is on the recording. So moving on to listening practice outside of practice tests. If you've listened to previous episodes, you know I'm a huge fan of using podcasts in class. In addition to listening in class, I will assign my students homework as long as the students are at the right level. Watching TV shows in English with English subtitles is another technique I use. And explicitly teaching idioms is also important, specifically for TOEFL. So what do you do when it comes to listening, Jose Luis? I do something similar to what you described above, Daniel. I like using podcasts, let's say, in my classes because students really need to get used to listening to English for extended periods of time, you know. Um, and let's say in my experience, students say they enjoy listening to podcasts because it helps them get used to listening to different accents and topics. And let's say they, they also need to develop note-taking skills. So I think that's very important. Sometimes they find pod podcasts that let's say that they find appealing, you know, from the topics that they're going to study at university, let's say in their master's degree or in, the, in their PhDs. Yeah. So I also watch YouTube videos in class, but I usually prepare a couple of questions before, you know, questions about the video and questions related to the vocabulary, like uh, the activity I mentioned uh, above, you know, like synonyms, you know, can we think of another word that's, you know, that, that refers to attend that was mentioned in the video? Also, I think it's important to teach students about implications because in the TOEFL listening test, we can find questions like this. For example, what does the professor imply about the upcoming test? Or which sentence best expresses what the librarian means when he or she says, you know, those types of questions. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's one reason I teach idioms in class and we listen to a person's tone of voice to determine the underlying meaning. So I like to give my students the example of the phrase, you can say that again as a way of showing that the speaker agrees with what someone just said. It doesn't mean they didn't understand and they want the speaker to repeat what they said. They're showing their enthusiastic agreement with a statement. And that's important for people to understand. Yeah, and I think those, let's say, with that, that's an excellent example, you know, because I remember that that was something, that's something that usually appears uh, in TOEFL textbooks, you know, like you can say that again, or like different, uh, like, like, you know, tiny phrases, or like, when they want to give an example, they usually say, say, instead of, for example, or, you know, those, those really small things make a really big difference. Definitely, definitely. So, Daniel, the next skill that we're going to talk about is speaking. So, Daniel, what do you do with speaking in class or how do you help your students develop that skill? Well, as with reading and listening, this is really going to depend on the test. TOEFL is very mechanical and unnatural since you're speaking into a computer and have a set time to answer each question. 
So I prepare students by having them do practice questions in a specific way. For the independent speaking tasks, I give them an example question and response, and we look at the structure that it follows. I then give them a structure to follow, and they write out what they plan to say. We then look at that together, and I can make any suggestions. Once they've revised it, they can say it, and we can record how long it took. I then ask them how long they think they spoke. Then based on that, we can see how long they actually spoke, if we need to add information, if they need to speak in a shorter amount of time, and they get to develop a sense of how long 45 seconds is when speaking, right? How long is 60 seconds when they're speaking? So then the integrated speaking task, I give them a sample response, but it is not in the correct order. They have to read the information and compare it with their notes and then put it in the correct order. They then read it aloud and I can get an idea of their fluency, their pronunciation, and any other areas they might need improvement in. So then after that, we'll then transition towards them producing their own answers, but they're getting to see a logical structure. They're getting to see how they should set their answers up. So that's TOEFL. When it comes to IELTS, the speaking section is much more natural. Given the fact that it's a conversation with the examiner, it's much easier to practice and to feel relaxed. That being said, I feel like the test can be more difficult because it has more variety than TOEFL. I provide students with sentence frames and some strategies for each section. For example, in section two with a long response, I have students brainstorm keywords related to who, what, when, where, why, and how during their thinking time. In addition, they create a general structure with an opening sentence and then three or four main ideas that they're going to talk about. It gives them practice organizing their thoughts and makes it easier as they develop their ideas and become more comfortable talking without getting any feedback. Regardless of the tests that the students are taking, in classes we cover the topics of vocabulary development, word stress, fluency, connectors in speaking, sentence frames, etc. all these things to give students a structure to follow when speaking. And of course, we'll look at any relevant grammar or pronunciation that they need. I also find that role plays and using things like lyricstraining.com and singing in English are great ways to develop pronunciation and fluency in a way that students enjoy. Other than that, I feel like speaking is such a huge topic that it's really hard to summarize, you know, uh, what we do. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about this, Jose Luis. What do you do to prepare students for speaking? Danny, I would like to divide my suggestions into two areas, understanding a question, planning a response, and of course, spoken language itself. Number one, so the first point may be really obvious and evident, but understanding the question is key for the next step, which is planning or drafting an answer. You know, students have a very limited amount of time to plan their answers, usually a minute or less than a minute. So students need to learn how to recognize the key elements of a question, which may be obvious, like the ones you mentioned, the type of question they are being asked, you know, like why, who, where, when, etc. And also the verb tense, present, past or future, because if a student fails to recognize one of those elements, their answer will be graded poorly. So in class, I usually try to look at questions with students and analyze them together and have them explain the questions to me. For example, so what is this question asking you to do? Like, you know, to, for example, if you need to focus on, uh, on a specific date, so uh, where did you go and things like that? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I think this is one thing that happens. Um, sometimes a student might 
have a question like, oh, where do you work? If it's already been established that they work. And so then um, some students might start talking about how long they've been working at their job, you know, um, so they're not answering the specific question that was asked. And that is so key in order to be able to carry on the conversation and to do well with these tests. Yeah, that's what I mean when I say like understanding the question, because, you know, sometimes they are very simple questions, like you said, like, why are you studying English? And then you you can be kind of answering the question, but the question was so simple that let's say in a way you're not you're failing, let's say it's particularly, mm -hmm. let's say in that area. The second thing I would like to mention is the answer itself. Like you, Daniel, I like to focus on time because the time to answer is really limited, you know, so student plans the answer while I'm taking the time and also uh, and then I tell them to stop. And after that, they start answering the question while I'm taking the time again and taking some notes, let's say to give them some feedback afterwards. Then we go over the answer and talk about it, you know, things to improve or which words to change or maybe uh, in a way like some more sophisticated words, if possible, how they felt answering the question, etc. Because sometimes some questions are really easy to answer, but some of them can be, let's say, much more complicated. So sometimes students feel really confident when answering a question, but sometimes they say like, no, nah, maybe I don't know, I, maybe I could have said this or I could have said that or I didn't really get the question. I, I wasn't really sure if I'm answering the question. And like you said, Daniel, students should try to organize and structure their answers. Yeah, I think you use the same word in a logical way. And this requires a lot of practice, you know, and I think that sample answers help us in this area because they show what students should try to do in the time given and what is, let's say, what a good answer uh, should look like. And some textbooks that I've seen actually underline the vocabulary needed to answer your question in the way was possible, let's say, uh, with different types of scores, you know. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I think this is the thing. Um, structure is so important. And I think that that's one thing in general that is difficult for Chileans when it comes to writing, when it comes to speaking. You know, we're not perfect in the United States. So, you know, I don't mean this to be a criticism, you know, uh, but it's an observation that I've noticed. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of organizing and also, let's say, well, taking notes, you know, it's something really simple. And sometimes students tell me that, I mean, at the beginning, when we're just starting, let's say, uh, going through, for example, the IELTS test, they usually tell me, I don't need to take notes. And then, uh, let's say, after practicing a few times, they realize that they have to take notes because otherwise they get lost in their answers. So, yeah, this with planning time and giving feedback are both essential to helping students prepare. So, Daniel, last but not least, we have writing. How do you prepare students for the writing part of international exams, Daniel? Well, I feel like this is the skill that most people struggle with. So I start out by making the comparison between ordering a sandwich with particular ingredients at a restaurant and the writing task on the tests. When we order a sandwich or a hamburger at a restaurant, we expect it to come with the right ingredients and put together logically. And of course, we want it to taste good. In the same way, people evaluating writing tasks for international exams want us to write organized and logical essays that flow and that are easy to understand. One key difference is that the people evaluating our writing, they don't care what specific ingredients we use or what position we take. The important thing is that we have structure, that it's logical. So this includes elements like an introduction with a clear thesis statement, main body paragraphs with topic sentences and supporting evidence with examples, and a conclusion that ties everything together. So that's the case with TOEFL independent writing and IELTS task two. 
Another important element is that we are much more direct in our writing than English. Almost every student I've had has told me that at school they learned how to lengthen their sentences and make things sound pretty. But that is in direct contrast to what we do with academic writing in English. I found that students really have a difficult time with this, but with enough practice, they get used to the change. As for preparing students, we actually go through an academic essay paragraph by paragraph and learn how to write an effective introduction, how to write an effective main body paragraph, and how to write a conclusion. We also look at how to use connectors to help ideas flow from one idea to the next. Of course, we also look at any grammar that comes up in the process. Yes, I agree with you, Daniel. In my experience, and based on what my students have told me, writing is the most difficult section for them because they are not used to writing in an academic context. And what do I mean by this? It's like something, uh, like like you said, you know, English sentences are indeed shorter <laughs> than the way we write in Spanish. Uh, it's also more direct and more precise. And that, let's say, makes it more difficult for students because they have to really synthesize information. You know, like, you know, to use less words, because like you said, we've been told in Spanish that the more words we use, it's like the better. We're going to have a better argument. So that works really against us. And test takers also need to consider cohesion and coherence. And this refers to the text structure and logic and how ideas are glued together by grammar and vocabulary, but especially by transitional phrases that help organize your ideas and intention. For example, students really need to be aware and consciously think about this. It's like, okay, do I want to add information? So should I do something like in addition or furthermore? Am I making a contrast here? Like saying, however, or nevertheless, am I concluding? So I think those, those phrases are really important, but you have to really include them, let's say, consciously. And like you said, Daniel, with lots of practice, guidance, and correction from us, students understand that writing requires conscious planning and an effort to show and defend your opinion with solid arguments. And I think something I really stress, you know, when I'm when I'm working with students, it's like please plan because I can see right away when you know a piece of writing is not following a plan. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And I think that this is one thing: um, being really, really strict and really, really clear with this and. I'll tell my students once we've gone through planning and once we've gone through this, if you do not show me your planning, I am not going to read your essay because I feel <laughs> like it's just going to be a waste of time if they're not following the steps. Oh, I think that that I think that uh, that's something I have I haven't thought of. So I think you know, like okay, show me your planning, and then so I can actually look at both because, like I said, I've seen many essays when I can just if I just look at the essay, and I I don't really read it, but I just look at the structure, and there I can see that it's not really balanced. I can see that right away. Definitely, definitely, and I think that's the thing: being strict with students and making them follow through with that. I think it's really important. So what we were talking about was the TOEFL independent writing task and IELTS writing task too. So the other writing tasks are based on interpreting information and writing about it. So with the integrated writing part of TOEFL, test takers have to write a response showing the relationship between a short academic reading and a professor's lecture about the reading. As seen in the title of the task, you have to integrate the information and express it in writing. So the task is fairly straightforward in terms of structure, but the note-taking and listening really takes practice. As for IELTS writing task one, it is much broader because it could be a chart, a graph, a process, a map, a table. I think there are a few other figures that it could also be. So test takers have to summarize the information they see, 
but also talk about things moving beyond the superficial level. I spend a lot of time working with the vocabulary of describing change and processes. This includes things like adverbs of change, active versus passive voice, trends, time periods, percentages, fractions, and probably some other things I can't think of at the moment. So we then put all that together with the structure of an introduction, an overview, and two paragraphs describing the most notable changes that occur in the visual. Yeah, Danny, like you said, in this part, denials, writing test number one, students need to study, you know, and uh, let's say and learn very specific verbs, like you said, maybe I can think of plummet, you know, increase, decrease, etc. And like some of the phrases you mentioned, it can be seen, you know, or we can see that or different types of phrases, you know, and also the right order when you're describing uh, a chart. This is something that happens a lot when you present, you know, like adjective plus noun as in a slight increase some people let's say use it incorrectly and this is the other way around and i have to tell them no that's the other you know uh type of word that you should the other type of combination you should use which is verb plus adverb you know as in the numbers have increased slightly and but this task is very short so you need to focus more on describing information with as many details as possible and very accurately i think they just have 20 minutes in the ielts task Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And that's the thing moving beyond the surface. And I think it's important to look at the data, group things together, notice similar trends, and show that you're capable of moving beyond just what is on the page. And those are things that people need in graduate school and doctoral programs. So the sooner that students develop it, the better. Yep. So that concludes our discussion of the four skills. Do you have any other thoughts about international exams, Daniel? I do. Yeah. So while I think they do a great job of evaluating students, the difficult part is that no test is going to prepare you for the intent to academic writing that comes with getting a master's or PhD. In addition, there are so many practical things that students might not feel prepared to handle when they're in another country. Things like having a phone conversation to deal with problems with insurance, getting the internet installed, talking about problems that might occur with financial aid, and sadly, unfortunately, what to do if you are confronted by a police officer as a foreign student in another country. I think it's important for people to feel good about what they've accomplished with getting the score that they need and pursuing their goals. At the same time, I think it's important to prepare them as best as possible for those other situations that might occur and let them know it's normal to not know how to handle particular situations. It's normal to struggle with things like academic writing. And I think it's important for people moving to other countries to be culturally literate. So I know that's something that would have been so beneficial to me when I first came to Chile and was trying to make sense of everything happening here. So how about you, Jose Luis? Do you have any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a very important point. Eh? International exams do measure your skills to function in an academic environment. And like you said, students also need some functional everyday language. For example, I remember my experience when I lived in Belgium, you know, to go shopping for food, you know, to find a place to live, to move around the city and of course to meet other people. And in my experience, you know, something I did after I decided to go to Belgium and of course, after I passed the TOEFL test, I took some Dutch lessons to know some of the basic things you, I mentioned before. And once I was living there, knowing some Dutch really helped me move around the country and of course, let's say, make new friends and actually... I remember when I wanted to buy some food, I could actually get what I wanted, you know, because I knew, let's say I knew the language. Definitely, definitely. I think that's the thing, because you can have the skills and you could have amazing English or amazing Spanish or amazing Dutch 
you know, uh, for academic purposes. But if you go to a store and then you can't order a coffee, you know, um, it makes you feel kind of stupid. And, you know, um, so I think that we do need to acknowledge that these basic intercommunication language skills are also really important. That's it for this episode of ELT in Chile. We hope you enjoyed hearing about teaching for international exams. So if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen directly on our website, www.eltinchile.com. And if you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at podcast.eltinchile.com. Again, that's podcast.eltinchile.com. Thank you to James Foster, Andres Ranz, and Nicholas Roman for their help producing the podcast and maintaining the website. Also, thank you to all of our listeners out there for your continued support and interest. Stay safe. Stay kind and keep on teaching. teaching.